0: When we both realized that we felt like we were failing and like someone I saw as who was so capable failing and she saw someone she felt was so capable failing. We realized that like you feel this way and I feel this way. Who the hell feels successful in this?
1: Ever since my youngest Brooks was born, I've been trying to fast track his life and I feel really, really guilty for it. I just constantly keep thinking that when he's three and a half and Hudson's six, we'll reach this super magical place where I have more time, where everyone will be out of diapers and they'll play more independently and they'll just need me a tiny bit less. It makes me really sad to think that I'm fast tracking through all of this, but it also makes me really hopeful that I'll have more time for myself. The advice I often get is wow, you're really in the thick of it. And it does get easier as they get older. But that's not what I heard from Kate. With her beautifully vulnerable and realistic approach, Kate helped me realize that I don't need to wait till some far off point in the future, that I can reclaim that time for myself now. And I don't have to do it alone. Welcome to Work Like a Mother, a podcast dedicated to real conversations with incredible women juggling work, life, and motherhood. I'm Bridget Garsh, co-founder of Neighbor Schools and your host. Today, I'm excited to sit down with Kate Zogby, founder of Mother Nation, social worker, mom, and your personal pump-up squad. Kate connected with a friend when they were both postpartum. Though they had very different pregnancy and postpartum experiences, They both felt like they were failing in spite of having access to a tremendous amount of resources. So they thought if they felt like they were failing, other moms probably felt like they were failing too. Kate and her friend founded Mother Nation to provide support for moms and build the skills to integrate their own needs into the demands of motherhood. She shares absolutely incredible advice to help you prioritize your own needs, too. Welcome, Kate. I'm so excited to be chatting with you today, and I can't wait to dive in and hear all about Mother Nation. But prior to founding this amazing community, your career still centered around infants and new mothers. So can you tell us about your career actually before founding Mother Nation?
0: Sure. Um, I have always worked with families, particularly with young children or who are still building their families. Um, I studied education in college and, right in the middle of my senior year, realized that I really did not want to teach, which is poor timing. Um, and when I graduated, what can you do with an education degree that is not teach? You can provide childcare. So, as a nanny um and it was just the like easiest fit without having to really investigate what I wanted in that moment because I did not know as a a new graduate and i ended up being with that family for 4 years um we're very very close still i think you know almost 10 years later um so that was an amazing relationship and getting to witness the inner workings of a young family was really um very formative for me um uh, i When I left their family, I went back to grad school um, and studied social work and uh, human development. So my background is in development, which is why I then went into parent education through a social work lens um, and was working with young families who um, were at higher risk of abuses, uh, cases of abuse or neglect just from various stresses and trauma that they are parenting and, and raising their families through. So what I really worked to do from a parenting perspective, is to build their own skills and their expectations of of child development, and to understand um, all of the behaviors and and perspectives that kids have that make no sense um, and can cause a lot of frustration, particularly for those who have frustrations omnipresent um, as they are trying to to parent and that was something that was so fun and thrilling for me because what I really got to do was build their confidence in being successful in this work. And very often when I won't speak for any particular person who's coming through trauma, um, but there is such a hit to self-esteem and confidence when you are continually met with struggle. Um, and so being able to support them in in seeing their successes was really really amazing and like just work I carry with me forever and that really is what put me on the path to to mother nation um but I I stopped that work when I was 26 weeks pregnant with my twins because I started dilating early um Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I had a really active job. I was in the field. I was in homes. I was using the tools that they had available to them, the environments that they had available to them. Um, You know, we would make toys out of paper plates and rice and and um, or I was at like DHS, making sure that they could apply for food stamps or Medicare, Medicaid. Um, And so my body did not rest enough in that pregnancy. So my doctor very lovingly pulled me uh, and put me on house arrest, basically said, you know, the mailbox is a big adventure, stay home. Um, And I did that for six weeks. And at the time when that happened, I left my job. I did not, you know, go on um, any type of leave because first of all, I'd already used medical leave earlier in my pregnancy because I had hyperemesis, um, which is like, morning sickness to the nth degree in which you lose percentages Mm -hmm. of your body weight. I think the medical distinction is like 10% of your body weight lost. And I definitely had it. It's also more common in twin pregnancies just because there is such an increased level of hormones, um, particularly when you have two placentas like I did. So I had used up the short-term disability benefit that I had when I, like from weeks 11 to 17 of pregnancy, because I was so, so sick. Mm -hmm. Um, And So I left that job also because I was grant-funded and I wanted to make sure that um, someone else would be paid for the work. Working for a nonprofit can get tricky as far as funding goes. So I wanted to make sure that someone else could step into my place and and not put a strain on the organization. So I left that work and also expecting then to have preemies to some degree. knew that there was no way I would be ready to come back to work after a six-week or eight-week break, which is all um, I would have been afforded. So, left that stayed home for six weeks, had the babies. And then 15 months later, finally sleep trained my very sweet son and came up for air. And my co-founder and I went out to dinner one night and and that is where we started.
1: Wow. I, 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 where (laughs) I'm like, where to, where to begin in that, that incredible journey to motherhood. What, if you can remember, what were those six weeks like while you were waiting, while you were on, as you said, house arrest, like what were you thinking about? It sounds like it was a really difficult decision to leave your, your job, especially because you were so passionate about it. So like, what did that transformation in and of itself look like before the twins
0: arrived? Yeah. Um, great question. I, was very appreciative of that time in regards to my pregnancy um, with the hyperemesis and with um, the bonus baby, like the news of the bonus baby um, and adjusting to expecting twins, as opposed to the one baby I expected to concede and carry. Um, there was a lot of grief in my pregnancy to let go of the expectation that expectations that I had for it. And it was made that much more difficult by, by how sick I was. So I frankly really needed the the space for my mental health Mm -hmm. um, and was able to then go into my labor really settled in this new role, which is not something that I would have said six weeks prior. Um, But more often than than me doing that deep work to, to really get myself in the headspace that I needed to be to show up to that work, um, I was really lonely. Um, you know, I was one of the first of my core group of friends to have kids and everyone else was working all of those, all those days. My wife is an educator and obviously then and again, works out of the home. So I was home alone for 10 hours a day. And as an extrovert and someone who was used to seeing five different families in a day, plus my coworkers, I was really lonely. It was a big shock um, to then only have my dog for company. She and I got really close, really tight. Um, but, But yeah, it was lonely. And it was something that people couldn't relate to. People who were more active in their work right i was doing a lot of work so i don't want to discount what i was doing but to people mm-hmm. who saw me as taking a break um they really just couldn't relate to me and and were very happy for me and jealous of me and i was struggling through a difficult physical pregnancy and a difficult emotional pregnancy and i did that alone a lot
1: mm. oh my goodness well and you just touched on something that really i don't think gets talked about at all which is you know, there's there's more people talking about the transformation to motherhood and act af- what happens to you after you have a child, but there's less talk about what you experience in your mind of what it's going to be like to be pregnant. And then when your pregnancy differs from that. So can you talk about that letting go and some of the grief that you were experiencing as your pregnancy was so different?
0: Yeah. Um, I just remember very often seeing a mom pushing one baby and being jealous of her, Mm -hmm. um, that that was not going to be my motherhood. And that was, you know, a snapshot of her motherhood. I couldn't see any other piece of it, but that was the one that really got me. Um, and, and made me feel a lot of want.
1: And then, Mm -hmm.
0: Once, uh, they were bigger and more developed in my belly and we knew, um, their sex and had decided to name them that allowed me to connect with who they were as Mm -hmm. opposed to, um, what they were, what they were, if that makes sense. Like that I wasn't, um, connecting with a twin pregnancy and a, um, difficult physical journey and, and and all of that I was connecting with my son and my daughter. And that really I mean the science of attachment is very clear that does create so much more um I mean frankly it gave me serotonin that I was desperately lacking. And and that really helped me get excited for who they were going to be based on my, even just their little personalities inside um which some some has carried all the way to age 5 <laughs> that they are now. So It allowed me to be excited for who they were going to be and who I was going to get to meet. And that is something that, um, was different than I expected because I had expected not to find out the sex of Mm. a baby. And, and it was something that I recognized I needed in order to, to begin connecting because while there were other things I could have done to preserve my mental health and care for it, um, I was in such a like bad space physically. I really needed like a shortcut, um, and I very much prize efficiency as a person. So I was looking for like the fastest way for that to happen, and um, so I thought I'd try finding out who they were and letting them introduce themselves to me to some degree. And that really did work. I got started to get curious about who they were, and then I remember seeing a mom with one baby at some point later in my pregnancy, and having a moment of feeling sad for her because she didn't have two babies in the stroller.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so it was like this very clear, like, um, before and after of that process for me. And so I still you- sometimes because having twins is so amazing. And um, think like, I wish every mom could have twins.
1: <laughs> so fast forward now. So you're they're here. They, they, you you yeah, stayed they home. Them. They, they arrived. They were born at 33 weeks. So they were in the NICU. What was that experience like?
0: Oh, it was pure adrenaline. Um, it, it was really intense. Um, and and I should say like also amazing. I mean, the NICU made us all feel so cared for mm-hmm. in the moments that we were in the NICU. They obviously were there all the time. And then when we were there all together, we very much felt cared for, but it was very difficult, only made to feel easy by that adrenaline that is kind of preventing us from, from recognizing just how hard it was. I mean, I was like discharged, you know, two days after they were born on a Saturday and I went home on a Monday. It was yeah. very difficult to go home without them. Um, you know, I had not been apart from them in that pregnancy. And even when in those couple of days that I was in the hospital, I was there. I could walk down mm-hmm. to the and be with them. And, you know, it was just, again, very lonely to be in the house when they were not, you um, mm-hmm. I would miss them in my belly and then not be able to go and look at them. So that part was difficult. And then the logistics were very difficult. Um, My wife got three weeks of parental leave, but they were in the NICU and I needed, I knew that we needed her to be home when they were home. So Mm -hmm. she went back to work the Tuesday then after they were born. And then I had to get myself to the NICU every day. So I was very fortunate to have a vaginal birth, which didn't preclude me from driving. Um, And I drove to the NICU every morning and tried to get there by the 8 a.m. feed. So and I would call the nurses and say, I'm coming, I'm coming. Like, don't start to feed them without me, because of course they would. But they also then would allow me to to be there or or to feed them because they were never so medically fragile that we couldn't participate Mm -hmm. in their care. Um, and then I would stay at the NICU all day, uh, and my wife would come try to get there for the five o'clock feed and, and we would trade, I would go home, um, because like our dog needed to eat dinner and, and needed to be walked and all of that. And so we kind of like, we we would eat dinner in one of the surgical waiting rooms on the floor? And then, um, I would go home and she would stay until after the 11 o'clock feed. And then we would go home and sleep for a little bit. Of course, I was pumping around the clock three every three hours um, to provide their milk. And, and so, you know, that sleep was very broken and minimal. But uh, the NICU was particularly physically exhausting because um, there are varying types of NICU um, setups. And we were in an open bay um room, which is like all the babies are next to each other Um, and you, you know, can make eye contact with every single family and every single nurse who's in the room. And for that reason, there is no food or drink allowed. So while I was a brand new breastfeeding mom and um, working hard to make enough milk for two babies, I couldn't drink water um, whenever I wanted. I needed to plan it and also takes an immense amount of calories. I had to add, you know, a thousand extra calories to my diet every day, which was not hard because you're so hungry when that's happening, but I had to time it so that I could be there for their feeds and to care for them, um, and just, you know, hold them, but make enough time in those in the day to make sure I could go eat and, and drink enough water. So it was like this Olympic feat to feed both of them, you know, take take all their vitals and get to hold them and then get downstairs to like, I mean, I seriously kept that Starbucks in business, I swear, in the in the first floor of the hospital. And I would get two peanut butter and jelly packs and two venti waters and I would drink it all and eat it all as fast as I could and then go back up for their next feed. Um and that was just like um repeat every three hours. And that actually really set me up for success at home because they then were on that three hour schedule at home as well. So but it was very physically demanding. And I was you know, only ever three weeks postpartum. It was hard.
1: Wow. And so how long were they in the NICU for? Our son was in
0: the NICU for, um, 18 days and our daughter was in for 21. So three weeks, they came home at 36 and a half weeks, gestation age, um, and three weeks actual.
1: So, I can, I I truly can imagine it's, it's what you were saying before too, about how you just have such a different perspective. It's like one of those things that even hearing you and all the twin moms that I've talked to, it's, it's like this mental leap that I can't fully cross over and imagine what it's like. So can you share a little bit about how this experience, how your entire postpartum inspired you to
0: start mother nation? Yeah, um, I'm so glad that you talked about like the inability to truly relate to what I went through. Um, First of all, I appreciate that, but I definitely um, think that it's something not enough people say. Uh, It's true more often than not, right? But people feel very called to provide relation to Mm -hmm. something that someone's experiencing. Um, And that's a misguided attempt at, at providing support. So I appreciate that so much. And that's a huge, huge piece of what we do, actually, at Mother Nation. Um, And it was very much informed by our experiences. So Adrienne Prentice, my co-founder, she and I have been friends since before I got married. We shared a house together at some point as young professionals. And um, we were eight weeks apart in our due dates, but our babies are about 30 hours apart in age. so then we went through postpartum together, right? We became moms together uh, and had vastly different experiences in our pregnancies and in that postpartum period and in just the transformation to mother. Um, in that matrescence, like the experience is not only who you are, but also what you what you go through in those t- at that time. So we those were very different experiences, but when we finally sat down to talk about it. Um, well, we didn't sit. But when we finally really like got there and leveled with each other about what we were experiencing, again, the situations were different, but how we felt through them was very, very similar. Mm -hmm. We felt isolated. We felt um, a disconnect between ourselves and our relationships that had existed previous to motherhood. Um, We felt totally overwhelmed with information. We felt um incapable of rising to the level of responsibility necessary to some degree because it's so much more responsibility than you've ever had in your life and and you've never had to build the skill to have confidence in that level of decision making before um so she is adrian is a former tech tech transactions attorney, very career driven, very um, achievement oriented, had been her entire career in life and was someone that I just knew when she wanted to to accomplish something she could. And she saw me in my career and my background as like the baby whisperer, someone who could not have been more set up for success in motherhood. And so when we both realized that we felt like we were failing and like someone I saw as who was so capable failing and she saw someone she felt was so capable failing. We realized that like you feel this way and I feel this way, who the hell feels successful in this? Mm-hmm. And so we kept talking to other moms and, and hearing really similar experiences and feelings, um, of overwhelm and lack of confidence and, uh, Feeling of failure. So, so when we realized that there were so many of the same experiences and feelings, we were like, well, what the fuck is wrong? Like, what is happening? In which that all of these immensely capable and um like warm, smart, intelligent, educated information seekers with so much privilege in the world, right? Because at that point we were only talking to really our peers, um, like our peers as far as like socioeconomic status and people that we had Mm -hmm. shared careers with and not that type of peer. And, um, we just felt like, well, with all the privilege in the world and all the things that had, we had to set us up for success. If we feel like we're failing, like we are actually just being failed to some degree. And like, where is that failure coming from? So, That sent us on this path, and there have been many, many iterations of what we've done to provide support for moms on the ground in real time and build the skills um, in themselves and each other to provide that support for each other, Um, and while also working at the federal level to create lasting, impactful change. I, I mean, I love your mission, first and
1: foremost. Can you share a little bit more about like what it, what it tactically looks like, like break down the mission into what that support looks like in a sort of day-to-day setting?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So we are a coaching and community platform um, that creates a space of support for moms and, and soon to be dads and caregivers um, to integrate their own needs into the demands and res- of the responsibilities that they have in motherhood or caregiving any you know any of those caregiving responsibilities and really what is so important there is to integrate their own needs that is something that is not messaged uh, as excellent parenting or even really adequate parenting I think child first, child centered parenting is so common and so expected now that parents feel as though they're failing at parenting if they do not center their child, which renders them incapable of centering themselves. Um, So, what we do is provide a space for parents to center themselves. Um, And right now, again, we are only working with mothers, but in the spring, we're expanding all of that. So we work to provide that space for people to center themselves because in a space when you are not centered ever, it is really difficult to feel confident in the choices that you're making. It's really difficult to understand your own values and how the decisions that you're making um, allow you to live those values. It's difficult to achieve goals um, that you have for yourself or your family, And those are all things that bring so much more fulfillment to people's lives. So we are a space to build the skills for that transformation.
1: One of the things that strikes me is um, when you're not centered, when you haven't centered yourself you just don't feel any sense of control as well or agency, right? Like if you, if, if you're like this, I'm a when you said that I'm imagining, you know, this ship sort of floating on the sea, but with no rudder and no sail and just like drifting rather, and rather than doing anything intentional for themselves or for anybody.
0: Absolutely. And that is where the coaching piece Um, comes in in which you know, in coaching, there's such a bias for forward momentum activation. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, what we do in coaching in those group coach set, those group coaching settings is like push our moms to think tactically in the moment what they can do, um, to integrate themselves into the calculus. What can you? um, do to find five minutes for yourself in the hour of the day that always goes so wild. What can you do, um, to prepare for that tough conversation you have to have at work mm-hmm. and, and thinking about all of the things that we push them to, to recognize that they do have agency over, um, because, it's yeah really difficult really difficult to see what agency you have when all of your relationships are built upon demand from you.
1: I think now as my kids have gotten their their older my youngest is now 21 months there's also something that strikes me in terms of perceptions right like now that my youngest is 21 months, I think everybody thinks like, oh, well now she's figured it out because he's 21 months. Right. And she's made it this far. So I'm curious to know, do you mostly work with, you know, new moms who are very close to, um, you know, postpartum or very early in their motherhood journey, or do you work with parents mm-hmm. as you're moving in this direction of, you know, toddlers or even older children, because they never thought about this until this moment.
0: There it is. We provide our services to parents of any any age children. If you have adult children, there is still a space for you here. Um, because there's a couple of different pieces to it. One is that with every new stage of parenting comes a new amount of growth that you need to show up fully in that job um, and a recalibration. of of all of those needs and the calculus that you've built for yourself. Children change so rapidly um, and I I think that that mindfulness and intentionality being something that you have access to throughout parenthood is just invaluable. Um, But I also know that if you have not gotten the type of support and, and skill building and and transformation that we can offer people, uh, in the early part of your motherhood, at some point you will recognize the need for it. Um, and that may, that happens for, for different people at different times, um, because we are all dealt really different hands in motherhood and parent and caregiving. And we are all also really different people who, who, um, Will process in different ways, and you may not be ready to center yourself when your baby is only twenty-one months old. You may not be ready until your kids go to kindergarten, and you may not be ready until you are an empty nester because you found so much fulfillment in in that caregiving experience woven through. Um, and then you need you need to center yourself in order to like decide your next moves so that you can can show up fully to your own life. Um, because I think that that's a big piece of it with child-centered parenting, <clears throat> um, there's this narrative of sacrifice. I think what is so important to recognize, but I understand that it's extremely counterintuitive, which is why we're in in how muddy it gets now and how difficult it feels and how much guilt and shame are wrapped around parenting um, is because to fully show up in parenting, there has to be, I really fully believe, Um, that except for the people who truly find ultimate fulfillment in parenting and caregiving, because there are those people, those magical unicorn moms and parents, um, if you don't have something in your life that brings you fulfillment outside of your children, it is much more difficult, um, to create a relationship with them that does bring ultimate fulfillment. Um, Mm -hmm. cause you are sacrificing a piece of who you really are to show up in that work. And that ultimately creates tension in that relationship, whether you are aware of it or not. Um, And that needs to be normalized as more often than than it is. I think there are people who talk about that um tension and and say like you have to put your own oxygen mask on first or that you you need to make sure you take a shower every day to care for yourself but it's about i mean first of all like there are so many tropes about how to be successful in parenthood and caregiving but i think that ultimately the message is to center yourself in parenting and caregiving so that you can then give more freely and fully to that relationship and and it is not as cut and dry as give freely and fully. Uh, mm-hmm. And we've all internalized just the end, the end of that message. And it creates a lot of guilt and shame in how we show up for our families. But what we do is really work hard to give moms and parents back um, more of the agency and more of the drive to go and find what is fulfilling them outside of their family.
1: Oh, it's such a beautiful message. It's such an important message, and and really an incredible mission. So thank you for sharing that with me and with everybody who's listening. I'd love to ask you some rapid fire questions before before we wrap up. Um, All right, I'm ready. What's one piece of mom gear you can't live without?
0: I was a big baby wearer. I loved wearing my babies, and I'm really sad that I don't still. And now the one piece of mom gear that I cannot live without is probably magnetiles, which is not technically mom gear, but it works 60% of the time, every time to distract, to move through, to buy me five minutes. Um, And that is very often what my motherhood looks like right now. Who do you love
1: to on Instagram? Jeff Goldblum.
0: (laughs) Um, I have been a huge, huge uh fan of like his cult persona for a really long time. Um, I love to follow all of the the people that I consider my peers in this space. I'm constantly challenged um by others who are working to create um more equity and caregiving and and more fulfillment in people's lives. I also really like to follow. Dan Pelosi, who is um, a home chef. His handle is Grossy Pelosi. Amazing. I have to go check out everybody oh, after yes. this.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> What's one hack that makes your life a little easier? The hack that makes my life
0: easier is that I have stopped looking for hacks. Um, I think that I, it's easy to spend a lot of energy looking for um, the button that is going to fix the, mm-hmm. the, the struggle that I'm having. And instead I can use that energy to, to really think of a sustainable solution.
1: What's on your nightstand right now?
0: Oh, um, the iPad and, um, Rupi Color's newest book, homebody, uh, the poet and my glasses.
1: Well, thank you so, so much for sharing time with me, for sharing all of your, experiences and really for doing it so openly. And so honestly, I I so appreciate that. And I know everyone else will as well.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. Someone recently told me that uh, the word they would use to describe me is disarming. And I would very much, I have worked very hard to lean into that more. I think that vulnerability and openness are ultimate tools of resilience. And I want to model that for as many people as I can, because I want, I want them all to have it.
1: Work Like a Mother is produced by Neighbor Schools. Neighbor Schools is a startup in Boston that I co-founded in 2018 to help parents find daycare. As a first-time parent, finding childcare can feel scary and intimidating. At Neighbor Schools, we help you find daycare you'll feel really good about so you can go back to work with the peace of mind that your little one is getting the socialization, support, and stimulation they need to learn and grow. We've helped thousands of moms and dads figure out the daycare search. Check us out at neighborschools.com and when you get in touch, mention that you discovered us on the podcast. Thanks for joining me today. We'll see you next time.